Hello everyone, welcome to the Talking Pharmacy podcast, where we take a look back at what's been happening in pharmacy over the past week or so. My name is Richard Thomas, I'm the editor of Pharmacy Magazine. Joining me on the pod this week are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of our daily news service, Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. Last week's pod was our In Conversation with interview with Mark Lyonet, so we've got plenty to talk about this week. Uh, there's been calls for pharmacies to sell EHC as a GSL medicine, and I think we'll be discussing that later. Pharmacies could be delivering COVID vaccines before Christmas, and we've had a record number of flu jabs delivered despite the shortages, which was welcomed by everyone, even if the PDA was a bit curmudgeonly about it. So uh, lots to catch up on. Why don't we start straight away with good week, bad week. Bad week to kick off then, and it's hello to Rob on this misty, murky 5th of November um, when we're recording this. So, Rob, who's had a bad week for you? Afternoon, Richard. Well, I'm, I'm going to pick up on this story that I think Arthur wrote about wholesaler talks holding up flu jab orders. Um, it is extraordinary in this day and age that we're not talking about lots of people having to have a discussion here. Um, and the GP stuff was all sorted out ages ago. So, you know, why why is it taking lot, so long? It, it doesn't seem to me to be a great look for uh, our friends and colleagues in the distribution business here, who are supposed to be the experts in logistics, who are having some difficulty working out the logistics. What's going on? I don't. Why is it taking so long? I mean, I, I don't understand the mechanics of it. I, I've got to be honest. But, you know, GPs have what? Had their supplies for about three or four? They haven't had their supplies, but they've been able to place orders and they've known they knew for a lot longer what the guidance was, who to call, you know, how they were how to go about it. But um but it seems like it's simpler for them because they're going direct to the four manufacturers. Arthur, who who are wholesalers actually talking to? Are the discussions who are they with? Is it what who are the talks between? I mean that's what I was a bit unclear of. Uh, my understanding, uh, we'll need to confirm. My, my understanding is that it's between government wholesalers and PSNC is also involved. Okay, right. It's, it's just it is unbelievable, isn't it? Really, when you think about it. I mean, it's it, you know, it's a time of year anyway. Ordinarily speaking, when it's really important for pharmacies to get a smooth supply of uh, vaccines in, but now with this pandemic, it's just, it's horrendous. Um, and they're doing fantastically well up to now. You'd think you'd just get it sorted, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't understand, from, I, from what I read, and I read the story, you know, I, I don't understand, it, just, it seems to be quite unclear, what wholesalers actually, what do they want? I mean, what, do, what is it they want? More, do they want better terms, more money, better profit margin? I don't understand why they've uh, suddenly picked now, of all, of, all, of all periods, to sort of uh, you know, create this hold-up. I don't, it seems to be... Yeah. The, 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 the only thing that occurs to me is, you know, I mean, all, all pharmacies and our customers are all wholesalers, aren't they? Isn't it, you know, maybe that's an issue. Yeah. Where, where'd you get them from? Yeah, well, I, 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 either way, what, whatever the mechanics of it, and, you know, I think none of us really understand. It just seems, it just seems crazy. I mean, pharmacies need, need those supplies. I, I, there has been another batch of uh, vaccines released to pharmacies this week, you know, part of the, the, the phase distribution that goes on, on anyway. But, you know, we're talking about this central stockpile here, which... I mean, the demand is still really, really high. I mean, pharmacies are just getting so many, you know, calls and requests from patients for flu vaccines. 
know, the sooner we do, pharmacies need to know the detail of all this so, so they can plan. So, yeah, we, we're still waiting for news. It's a, it's a, it's a very grey area, but, you know, come on, it needs to move a lot quicker than this. Um, Arthur, then, who's had a bad week for you? Uh, my bad week goes to NHS England, who have decided to stop allowing members of the press to view their primary care COVID-19 webinars, which um, early in the pandemic, they, they were quite useful. So they, they were open to, to everyone. Um, some quite sort of useful announcements came fr- from those webinars. Firstly, I think about things like risk assessments or bank holiday opening. Um, but now, they are now, quote, uh, considered internal operational matters. And so us, you know, mischief-making journalists are banned. Uh, there's the obvious parallels with Trump, you know, who's no, no fan of the media. And I think it's also worth pointing out that uh, Keith Ridge, the chief ph- pharmaceutical officer, has form in this area. You might remember uh, last year in quite dramatic circumstances, he ejected uh, a journalist from one of our rival publications uh, when she found her way into an NHSE conference. Um, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's just an own goal because it's not, that tricky for us to actually find our way into the webinar should we choose uh, and also if any sort of important announcements are made it's uh i mean it's in the health services interest for anyone who's anyone who's concerned to, to get the information and that's you know part, part of our role oh uh, arthur i i saw this last night and you, you, uh, you tweeted about it i think and then I, I i kind of this was quite late last night when i looked at this and uh well, you know, look, believe me, I'd rather not give up a chunk of my evening to report on the, you know, the kind of turgid fear that is a typical NHSE webinar. Cause they, they tend to be, I felt they were uniformly dire during the, the early stages of the pandemic. But you're right, Arthur, it's, it's not a good look, is it? You'd think the NHSE, if it had anything of interest or importance to say, would want these messages to be read by the widest possible pharmacist audience and, and that's what we do in the press and and yeah you're, you're right I, I that awful incident a year or two back when they they humiliated a young C&D reporter by throwing her throwing her out of that chief pharmacist conference I mean that was appalling uh, well they, they gave they gave her a story didn't they I mean it was it, they didn't they do a u-turn they did well I, I think they apologized in the end didn't they but you know, it is it is Arthur you're right it is it's rather Trump-esque to me it's it's another own goal and you know, I late last night I tweeted about this because just before going to bed, I should look at Twitter before I go to bed. And I, so it was very late, and I thought, oh yeah, this is this is ridiculous. And uh, immediately, about eight or nine pharmacists offered to share their login details with me. So, you know, I don't see how they could they could stop us reporting on it. Anyway, in fact, I think we we should probably live tweet it if we if we were that if we were that way inclined. But uh, oh, I don't go by. NHSE uh, yet, yet again. It is a massive own goal. Absolutely massive. And how much do you think Mr. Ridge had to do with this? I mean, did you, do you think he played a, you get the sense he might have played an integral role in this decision, or do you think there were others? Nah, no, you, 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 can't, you can't put it at, uh, at an individual. Um, I don't know who's made that type of decision, but you know, I'm not sure. You can't point to an individual. It's probably a, uh, it's an organisational decision, isn't it? Um, that they've made, and uh, if any press office can be bothered to listen to this podcast, then I'd suggest they revisit it because um, it's a massive on goal. I mean, if the messages are worth pharmacists hearing, then they're worth having they amplified to people with big people with reach. Exactly. You know, exactly. I would have said. Is this just kind of like this government? I don't know. Skepticism about like what the role of the press is. They're so 
government. This is a generalized problem, isn't it? It's not just pharmacy. You've seen it in, in our, with our government. You've seen it in the US. There's this, you know, the kind of marginalization of, of journalists. Well, you know, it's it's short-sighted. It doesn't work. It's, it's, they've had problems enough anyway during this pandemic, getting messages out clearly. What we've had is muddled messages and, and contradictions all the way through this pandemic. So it you know, you'd think that they would, they might have learned some lesson there in terms of actually being able to use the one thing you want to do if you want to get your message out there clearly and concisely is use the press, and that's what we're here for. And you know, it it, it defies logic to me. Well, I'd say I'd say Neil, particularly the professional press. You know, I mean, it's not like if there's a if there's a story that needs to get out to to pharmacists, then that's what we're doing. And okay, we do call people to account when things go wrong, but. That's the as you, as Richard says, you know that's that's an important part of a functioning democracy, and, and also you know the the idea that there's a monopoly of ideas and, and contributions. I I just think that you know if we've learnt anything over the last um, six months, if not over our whole careers, is that sometimes you have to go and find good ideas, and, and a part of that is showing that you're open and receptive to to hearing hearing them. It's the arrogance of it as well, isn't it? And and the controlling or the attempted way of controlling the media to control the message. And it's like, you know, um, it, it's so easy to bypass, as Arthur said. Yeah, we've got, look, we could log in very, very easily. You know, my wife's a pharmacist. I could just sit over her shoulder and listen to it all if I, if I can be bothered. I'm not sure I can be bothered, to be honest, because, as I say, there's very little these things that tends to be worth reporting in my experience but it's a real arrogance uh, about it and it you know it it's not helpful it makes them look out of touch it's a massive own goal and look they're not nhs england aren't exactly top of many pharmacists christmas card list anyway um this ain't gonna help so okay yeah bad week bad week for them um neil who's had a bad week for you well i've gone for pharmacy technicians you might think this um Perhaps not so much a bad week for pharmacy technicians, maybe a, a, a moment of enlightenment. Um, it depends what view you take. But um, they, they've been pulled up again by the PDA. Um, they've launched uh, the APT UK and the Primary Care uh, Pharmacy Association have launched a consultation on, on, on their national competency framework uh, for pharmacy care primary technicians. It's a very thorough report if anyone's had a chance to look at it and, uh, and, and sift through it. Um, and, to, you know, at first glance, it's a very... Uh, it's a rather productive report. Uh, lots of good things in there. It, it tries to sort of identify gaps in knowledge and skills and, and training and development needs um, to sort of support pharmacy technicians uh, in their roles. Uh, facilitating CPD and revalidation, all these things are in there. Uh, it, it seems to be a, a, a very good, strong um, report. But the PDA, um, they, they picked them up. Uh, you might remember, we, I think we all remember, the 250-page, eight-chapter report they, they published um earlier this year towards the end of last year which examined a range of issues including the education and training of pharmacy technicians there were concerns over uh, the qualifications of pharmacy technicians the, the grandparent clause as well as the idea that pharmacy technicians overseeing the supply of med, uh, p and prescription only medicines that, that's a big no-no for the pda um and the pda have, uh, have pulled them up again um now they don't believe this national competency framework is good enough i think that's pretty much the crux of it uh, it needs significant work and a further and a further consultation if the role of pharmacy technicians are to be enhanced. That's what they, the PDA say. Some, there's some strong words in there from the PDA. Um, they go on to say that given the role of pharmacists within primary care, uh, given that role is evolving, um, it seems apparent that, well, it's apparent that the 
the wider ranging scope of this concept, this uh, framework, um, it could only be described as an overly ambitious attempt to stake a claim on the emerging landscape. So it's almost as if a, 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 a you know this 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 framework is a way of grabbing a, a land grab. I think we did a story in it, didn't we? Um, by the, by the, the APT UK. Um, the PDA went on to say that uh, rather than working with clinical pharmacists, the framework set, um, seeks to duplicate or replace the work already being done by clinical pharmacists. So there's some, some pretty strong stuff in there. I guess it depends what view you take, what kind of side of the fence you come down. And I, I looked at the report, the, the, the framework, and I thought there's, there's a lot of positive stuff. What's, what's to dislike in there? You know, we all want, we, all of us would agree that every single member of the pharmacy team needs to be 100% fully trained, developed and, and skilled and, 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 have that, and have that continuing uh, development. And that's what I got from this report. But the PDA have, um, you know, they've come down, uh, you know, in their own way. Let, I mean, let's be clear, you know, the PDA, you know, do think that, that pharmacy technicians are a very valued part of the pharmacy team. They, they've never said they're not. They do think they are valued. But they've, they've, they've made, their, made their noise again. Um, and, um, you know, I, I don't know what you guys think, but I, I, it, it was a rather strong, it's a strong response from the PDA. Very very strong. I mean, the, the PDA does take a very aggressive line on this, um, you know, too aggressive. Really. I, I remember getting absolutely hammered by Mark Cosiel at a PDA conference a year or two back where he, he read out from the podium uh, an editorial in which I dared to suggest that the tone of that, that famous or infamous technician's report a few years back that you mentioned, Neil, I mean, it, it left some pharmacists as well as technicians, feeling rather uncomfortable. And, and, you know, I said if the PDA wants all members of the pharmacy team to buy into new models of working, you know, a more inclusive and conciliatory approach might have been more effective. Um, that didn't go, didn't go down well. And, and I guess, I don't know, is it not defending the PDA's approach here? I guess it's a union. It's doing what unions do, protect the interests of its members. I actually agree with you, Neil. I think the, the PDA is some uh, really important things to say about skill mix and safety regarding the technicians in the pharmacy team and career structure and you know salaries experience qualifications all, all, all things like that it, these are important things that, that the profession as a whole needs to, to talk about but it gets a bit lost with the language I think that, that the PDA uses it's all couched in a very strong message of get back in your box which just the optics of it are you know but well I th- pers- personally I think the optics of it are not great for the PDA even if like, like you say, they have important things to say about skill mix. I'm not sure the APT UK replied. Did they respond to that though? That, that what, what the PDA was saying. I'm not sure they did. Did they? Uh, not, not to me. I, I, were... I think they just keep their head down, weren't they? Just a thought. I mean, it's, it's all, it's all a bit. Some of my best friends are technicians, but isn't it really? You know, I, I think you can absolutely you can uh, raise concerns about the something like the grandparenting thing. Absolutely, but. What's better than that? Well, you know, a competency framework is maybe a good start. And given that all professionals are not meant to operate beyond the bounds of their own personal competence, you know, I think you have to recognise that out out there in in technician practice, um, there's a whole range of different skills and things that people have been doing for years. And yes, a, a, a lot of those who might have been grandparented in however long, however many years ago, uh, you know, that was a political decision and done for a particular reason. Um, but there are models of practice out there that if you were setting setting things out in a competency framework and not just saying, uh, not just doing the, the grandparenting thing, then then you would capture some of those things, even if they were at the top end uh, of, 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 the, of a scale, as it were. Yeah, it, you know, it, it, it does come down to 
it does come down to tone, I think, actually, uh, this. And I'm not sure this is the PDA is, is, is taking the most kind of constructive approach with this. Um, but like I say, let, let, let's have the debate by all means, um, but let's try and do it slightly more in inclusively. Uh, and no doubt we will, we will get hammered by the PDA again uh, for saying that, but so be it. Okay, thanks, Neil. My bad week. I'll be brief with this one. Uh, GPHC, again, um, still taking too long to deal with fitness to practice cases according to the, the Professional Standards Authority. Um, you remember that the, the PSA absolutely hammered the regulator last year over this. Uh, well, this year, the GPHC apparently is taking even longer with fitness to practice cases. I mean, it has put uh, measures in place to improve matters. Uh, and I think there's a there's a consultation that's ongoing at the moment uh, about the whole thing. But it at the moment, it's too early to say whether there are any signs of improvement. Oh, so I'm just going to say this is not a, this is not a good moment for the GPHC, though, is it? Particularly because it's it's you know as far as the profession, professional standards authority is concerned, you know they're looking very carefully at regulatory healthcare regulatory bodies all over the place. You know, be it dental or whatever nursing, and I think they're looking. Uh, uh, to sort of, you know, streamline some of this regulatory, this regulatory system, and I think, you know, uh, I think the GPHC are one of the regulators they're looking at very carefully to sort of see how they're performing and whether they're run cost efficiently. And I think, I, you know, from what I can gather, there was a report released at PSA, PSA a few, a couple of years ago, wasn't there, in where they, which they said that regulators that have a uh, uh, less than a certain number of, uh, I can't remember the exact figure, but a less than a certain number of uh, registrants. They're not. That, if, you're, if you fall below that number, you're not particularly cost efficient. And the GPHC did fall below that number. And, I, and you can. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but you could. You could almost see a situation in, in, in a few years' time where there might not be a GPHC. Um, and the Professional Standards Authority are looking at this very carefully. So that, that's not a good moment at the moment for the for our regulator, for the pharmacy's regulatory body. I'm saying. Are you sure? Are you sure it was below that number? Because isn't the GPHC the the fourth biggest of the nine? I think PSNI certainly did, and the and the chiropractors and the osteopaths ones because they're tiny. Yeah, I think if, I, if my memory serves me right, they fell below that the the, the threshold that the PS the PSA set. And I remember actually putting this question to the GPHC at the time. Um, so they do they do they're not you know from a cost efficient you know registrant number viewpoint they 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 are in a bit of a, a sticky a potentially a sticky situation there, and the performance has to be monitored. There's, there's, co there's cost efficiency and there's coming to the right decisions, though, isn't there, in, a, in, a, in an expeditious manner. And I, I can't imagine that chunking, chunking these things up further and creating even fewer sort of mega regulators is going to do anything for dealing with um, practitioners in a, in, a, in a speedy manner. It's just going to make it worse, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, Neil's right. I don't know. I don't know the threshold. Uh, I don't know what that threshold might be. But I think... Neil's right in that the you know the spec the specter of the super regulator hasn't entirely gone away and and I I noticed noted that the PSA was um, very critical of of GPHC processes not not so much kind of cost effect uh, effectiveness with with um, fitness to practice but but processes and I think there was a line in uh, the report that said where the PSA was saying that. The GPHC's processes are not sufficient to ensure that any fitness to practice decisions are consistent and fair at the triage stage. So, 
you know, it's a processing as well. And, and they will be under scrutiny. Um, all regulators are under scrutiny, especially at the moment. And there are a few things I think the GPHC might be a little nervous about in its performance, uh, you know, in the last six months or so. Um, so, well, we'll, you know, we'll see. We'll see if the fitness of practice procedures speed up. Um, we'll see whether they actually choose some some more novel ways of dealing with it. Like, I think the the General Optical Council, I think, has got a whole different way of dealing with uh, fitness to practice issues. So there, there are learnings out there amongst health regulators. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the GPHC improves its performance um, with fitness to practice. Work to do, I think. Um, bad week then, once more, for the GPHC. So let's move on to good week. Then I'll start us off. This time, I'm going to say it's been a good week for Mark Lionettes. Now, you recall that we talked to Mark in last week's In Conversation With podcast, and, and I thought it was a really good interview. Mark spoke candidly on a whole range of issues facing pharmacy and, and the NPA. Um, and many pharmacists might not have heard Mark speak at all, so you know, it would have been extremely informative for them. There lots of very positive reaction, actually, on Twitter following the interview. And he was extremely open and you know, he's comfortable enough in his own skin to talk with me for, for well over an hour, actually, with, with not a, a PR minder in sight, which is rare nowadays. Um, now, some independents might not agree with everything he said, of course, which is absolutely fine. But uh, but full marks for the, the whole way that he approached the interview. Um, I thought he was pretty impressive. And he's even agreed to join us on the pod uh, at a later date as a guest panellist. So, so that will be fun. A good week then for Mark Leinert of the MPA. Uh, Arthur, who's had a good week in pharmacy for you? Uh, potentially a good week if you're a pharmacist who is interested in offering COVID tests to the public. Uh, the GPHC, who you've just spoken about, uh, says it's reviewing its position on this and seeking urgent guidance from the public health agencies. Uh, you might be aware the GPHC has said pharmacies must not offer antibody tests. The position on antigen tests is less clear, but we know sort of Public Health England is it's the official line is still that you know it's naughty um but now the gphc says there's significant interest from pharmacies and in recognition of this it's uh reviewing this and possibly about to make a u-turn and allow all types of testing to take place in pharmacies uh could be just as well because we ran a survey last week which found that a lot of pharmacies well about 10 percent are ignoring the antibody testing ban anyway uh, Superdrug are for sure. They they've relaunched their service, uh, which, which will set you back sixty nine pounds uh, for an antibody test. Um, it's a bit of a thorny area, and possibly one where it was sort of unwise for the regulator to get involved in the first place. Uh, so some have argued. So any of our readers who you know chafed against the the GPHC ruling will be pleased to hear it's under review. I don't understand the whole thing. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous that, that to, to even think that pharmacies. At one stage or another during this pandemic, shouldn't be allowed to offer antibody as long as it's fair and it's carried out, uh, as long as it's safe and it's carried out in, a, in an effective and safe way, of course. Why they shouldn't be allowed to carry out these tests? I mean, you know, right from day one, you know, pharmacies are, are from, in my view, are the, are the number one place, the best place, you know, the the most accessible place for all these hard to reach communities to to, to roll out to roll out this kind of testing, and they should have been. Um, uh, put in a position and supported to do so in the first place. What, Neil? An an antibody testing? Antibody testing, yes. And, and even the swab test, even the uh, swab testing as well. I, I think that they were then 
Well, hang on a minute. On, on, now, with antibody testing, what, what, does a, what does a positive antibody test actually mean, knowing those? With, with antigen testing, why would you encourage people with potentially with COVID system, um, symptoms to come to your pharmacy? Well, 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 it comes back to the whole, uh, the old, the age-old argument we've had about since this pandemic began about, you know, having a safe and having a safe environment for pharmacies to work in. You know, you, you, I, I don't think that I think if pharmacies are safe, pharmacists are safe, and their teams are safe, and there's no, and, they, and they, 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 there's, there's a very, very, very minimal chance of, of this virus spreading to, to to the pharmacy team. I think they. Why do me, you, why do you right? say minimal? To, why do you say minimal? Because I mean, no chance, put, no chance, no chance, no chance. That, that's. I'm getting, but. That's not but the point. point. If someone with asymptomatically go with but infected goes into a pharmacy for a test, then they spread it amongst the pharmacy team. That's that pharmacy no, closed but, down for a fortnight. No, no, we know that. But what I'm saying is, is that the pharmacy team, as we've said all along, should be completely and utterly, you know, have the right PPE, the right kind of uh, safety um, uh, equipment. The safety it has to be a 100% safe pharmacy to actually roll out this. That, that's that's goes that's a non-negotiable. Once you've got that in place, and I'm not sure we still have that in place across the country. Maybe we don't. So maybe some pharmacies are working, you know, not with the best equipment. Once you've got that in place, then you can look at you know doing what is a very dangerous job. Yeah, of course it is. But but I think pharmacies, the access they have to local, hard to reach communities, they're the best placed healthcare resource the NHS ha NHS has to roll out these, this testing right across the country. Um, and I just don't understand why the GPHC has only now started to say, well, you know what, yeah, okay, they can they can now provide antibody testing, or they now can provide, you know, this, this kind of really important resource. The suspicion is that because Boots have uh, entered the market now with their uh, rapid antigen tests, um, it's sort of forced the GPHC's hand, because even though they'd never, you know, said, the GPHC had never told pharmacies not to offer antigen testing, it still is not the public health guidance. Um, but if Boots are doing this that goes against public health guidance with the antigen tests, is it is there is it inconsistent to say, oh, you can't offer antibody tests because of sim similar guidance? Is uh, is a suspicion that's in the ether at least that, you know, I, I, I guess it's up to your own opinion. So is the GPAC basically playing catch up here, Arthur? Possibly. I, th I think it is possibly a bit of regulatory overreach. We've, I think we've discussed this on the pod in the past. Um, you know, whether or not it's it's bad in terms of public health to offer antibody tests, it, a, a few people were surprised that the GPHC thought it would to thought thought to ban people from make, from making a commercial decision to offer the test, and so potentially a bit of overreach. And now it's sort of been put in a tricky position by Boots and having to, you know, to, to rethink. So maybe Boots are calling the tune then, are they, with the, with the, with the regulator? It, there, there is a suspicion that that might be what's happening, Neil. I mean, uh, it, it did kind of, it did take Boots' announcement to, to, <laughs> to kind of provoke the GPHC into, into some kind of action. Um, certainly an unfortunate timing thing there. Very unfortunate timing. Um, and you you had pharmacists on Twitter, you know, months ago, a good couple of months ago, saying, you know, I can remember a couple of pharmacists on Twitter ad literally advertising their, their antibody testing services in the pharmacy. You know, you, this, this is not a... A new thing. We, you know, eight, eight, six, eight weeks ago, this was. I, it is, isn't the new thing, and I, there is definitely a, a. This could be a case of regulatory overreach. I absolutely get that. I, I would just say the science behind antibody testing is still too confusing. We don't understand enough about the immune response, and 
you know, I would be very cautious about, you know, antibody testing in, in the community and, and definitely antigen testing for, for the reasons I've said. But hey, look, we've discussed testing on and off for about six months and the situation doesn't get any clearer, does it? But, uh, you know, we come back to it, I'm sure. Uh, okay, Arthur. Thanks, Arthur. Um, Neil, who's had a good week for you? Well, I've gone for Andrew Lane at the NPA, um, who's written a letter to Michael Gove over a potential significant uh, medicine shortage in Northern Ireland, um, and all, all uh, as a result of this uh, of the Northern Ireland protocols set out in the, in the Brexit withdrawal agreement. Um, Andrew Lane told Mr. Gove that the cost and complexity of ensuring medicines reach patients in the in the country will increase. If it does not follow the rest of the UK in breaking away from EU medicine re- medicines regulations, and of course that could result in greater procurement costs and, it, and manufacturers, particularly generic companies, um, you know, not, not bringing products to the market. So it, it, it's a it's a timely, it's a very very del- it's a very tense moment. Uh, Brexit is I mean we're all sick of the sick of the word I'd imagine, but you know it, 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 in terms of medicine supply, this is a really really uh, crucial time um, for, well, for the UK, but, but, but for Northern Ireland. Uh, bearing in mind what's you know all, all these things that have been knitted into the into the withdrawal agreement, um, you know it's a really pivotal moment. And and, fair, and well done to to Andrew Lane at the NPA for sort of drawing Mr Gove's attention to this. Uh, the NPA do want robust mitigations to the medicine supply chain from the 31st of December uh, for at least 18 months. I think that's a, a very sensible move. Uh, bearing in mind, uh, you know we're, we're talking about people's lives here, so I would I would, I would fully support the NPA in, in that call. Um, I think you do need time to adapt to the supply, you know, to allow the supply chain to adapt to the to these changes. Um, whether or not, as, as with all letters to MPs and, and, and the government cabinet ministers, whether they take any notice of this, whether they has any effect on anything, like who knows. But um, it's good that the MPA, it's good that Andrew Lane wrote to uh, Michael Gove on this issue, and uh, we well, we wait to see what effect it has. All right, yeah, good week, good week for Andrew Lane. Thanks, Neil. Rob, who's had a good week for you? Um, I'm going to stretch the uh, definition of the word good here. Uh, So I was thinking about noting that the chief executive of the NHS uh, mentioned uh, spontaneously pharmacy in some remarks he made the other day about uh, what's going to happen with COVID-19 vaccines. I'm not sure that would have happened uh, six months ago. So I think that's that's a good, good sign of the whole perception point that I think various people have made but also that we've commented on. Um, there seems to be a little bit of scepticism in, in some of the feeds that I read which involve doctors suggesting that uh, he might he may well have said that he's written to all GPs this week but they certainly haven't received any any communications yet so uh, I think there's more probably more to come on that. But there's a couple of things which on the face of it might look a bit negative but I think also demonstrate how far pharmacy has come in recent years. So uh, the two things are the uh, the drop in pharmacy safety reports during the pandemic, uh, which I think is uh, actually a real issue because, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the NPA is it's the NPA's comment and the NPA acts as medication safety officer for all uh, all pharmacies that aren't uh, 50 stores or more. And they published their most recent uh, second quarter collated report showing a 44% decrease in reports compared to Q1. Um, Now, again, I think this is uh, a sign of just how vital a a service pharmacy is, that there are concerns around the fact that we don't know uh, what has been happening. Uh, 
uh, on the workload post sort of panda as we've gone into the pandemic. So I think that's an issue, but it, it raises the, you know, it, it reminds us, I think, just how uh, important a role that pharmacists play in the, the patient safety sort of continuum. And the other one, uh, which again, I this is a good news and bad news in a way. Uh, the British Pregnancy Advisory Service has come out with a, a concern about access to emergency contraception as a result of some of the, the changes that, that pharmacies have had to make uh, to deal with, uh, the, 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 again, the, the coronavirus. And the fact that uh, they've done a, a very quick and dirty, I think it's fair to say, mystery shopper uh, uh, survey, 34 pharmacies of whom around a third weren't able to offer a confidential and COVID secure consultation for EHC. Um, again, I think that um, it's an interesting reminder that uh, pharmacies provide some really important services out there and that um, that the coronavirus is impacting on some on, on some areas where pharmacy has been and has come to be the number one provider of particular sorts of service. The great thing about um, the great thing about the way that that is is um, presented is that uh, the, the report from the BPAS actually does talk about how pharmacists have been doing their best to provide contraception. There's no, there's no, there's no um, denigration of the service of pharmacies in here, just that it's all become much more difficult. Obviously, the, what the BPAS is suggesting is that we could move emergency contraception to, to GSL, um, which are, I'm not sure uh, would be the right answer. But, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a nudge to pharmacy, I think, to think about uh, all of the sorts of patients that it provides services to uh, in dealing with, you know, the challenges that they're, they're facing with, with the whole coronavirus thing. So, sorry, that's not exactly good week, but it there's a, there's a few things around which I think highlight pharmacy's role in a number of different ways. Yeah, that that is very interesting. That's just an interesting area because there have been calls from the likes of BPAS and I think the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists to to reclassify EHC, haven't they, for to GSL. There's, there's a kind of movement growing for this. Um, and yeah, because of COVID, if that means that women are leaving pharmacies uh, without EHC for whatever reason, well, you know, that that is unacceptable. Um, but I'm, I think I'm with you, Rob. We, we, we do need to kind of think carefully about this. I don't I definitely don't think that uh, EHC provision from from pharmacies should be deregulated. To be honest, because you know uh, that would mean you could buy it from anywhere, wouldn't it? Corner shop or a petrol station, no advice given, no opportunity to you know, identify needs for future contraception, possible symptoms of, of STIs. So you know, and the safe that safety and safeguarding issue is 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 key isn't it um i don't know maybe pharmacy does need to look at this it, given the, the present situation but i tell you one thing one answer would be to make ehc free on the nhs like in in scotland and wales um and the cca and aim of, of call for this i think so yeah there's strengths and weaknesses in in, in the current pharmacy model especially at, at the moment and it sounds like even from a quick and dirty survey there's too much variation uh, in the standard of service uh, and the quality of service out there, and maybe pharmacy does need to look at that. So yeah, a little bit of a, it, it is kind of good week, bad week. It, it, it's a it's a sign of 
pharmacy's place in the general scheme of things at the moment, isn't it? Uh, especially with with EHC provision, because women do prefer to go to pharmacies for this. So something for, for pharmacists to think about, especially given the, the current COVID situation. So yeah, thanks for that, Rob. So um, very quick, any other business? Because we're, we're overrunning it a bit this week. Um, I All I've got is um, I committed a amateur lockdown error. I forgot to have my hair cut. Uh, so it's going to be the wild and woolly Michael Sheen look for me over the next month. Um, what have you guys seen? Uh, Neil, you seen anything from across the ponds, maybe? <laughs> just, it's, it's absolute chaos at the moment, isn't it? I mean, it's, uh, we believe it looks like Joe Biden is going to be the next president of the United States. Um, you know, it, who, it, it's absolute carnage. And uh, Mr. Trump's, if you read some of the reports, Mr. Trump's supporters are hanging around outside polling stations like Arizona, I think it was mentioned, uh, the voting centre with armed armed with uh, automatic weapons and and who knows what else. I mean, it, it, it's I, I, this could get very very nasty very quickly. I think so. I'm, I'm uh, yeah, it doesn't look good, does it? No, it doesn't. Uh, Rob, what have you seen this week? Just a quick shout out to me to the College of Optometrists who've teamed up with BAFTA Award nominated director Mark Nunnally who's uh, from the Ridley Scott Creative Group, to direct a film that people can't actually see because it's been shot entirely out of focus. Um, It's really quite an interesting watch, I have to say. Uh, It's only about six or seven minutes long. So the first ever completely blurred film, Focus on Life, you can find it on the college website or on YouTube, uh, launched to highlight the national issue of worsening eyesight and its impact on our lives. Really, really clever approach to a you know a, a, a tricky and worsening situation. That's a great any other business, Rob. Um, that's fascinating, isn't it? I will definitely check that out. What a what an innovative approach there. Uh, thanks, Rob. Uh, Arthur, what have you seen? Uh, it has to be the election. It's sort of the only story in town this week. I have seen a few tweets sort of skewering. Uh, the level of obsessive interest on this side of the pond in uh, in the election in the States. I saw, I'm from Dublin myself, I saw a politician there saying, imagine people in Texas watching the vote in Dublin South Central, like staying up till two, three in the morning. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, the election has, has kept us all gripped this week, hasn't it? It has. And by the time this pod comes out tomorrow, Friday, we may have a winner. Um, let's see. Uh, well, on that note, then let's uh, on American politics will bring us uh, brings us to the end of this week's pod. Thank you to Rob, Neil, and Arthur. The pod is available on the Pharmacy Magazine website and all your usual download sites, including now I'm told Google Podcasts and Amazon Podcasts. So, talking pharmacy reach expands ever further. Uh, but for now, from all of us, thank you very much for listening. Uh-huh.